This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we now know what can kill Jason Voorhees. We drink 106 beers and talk about the Andre the Giant documentary. And will Paul survive the Mall of the Dead? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, and with all with with me always is Steve. Hi, Hello, Steve. everyone. Yeah. So you um you survived. You survived going to Moroville. We I, I at the end of the last show, you're like, I might be a zombie, and I'm like, that's fine. Like I didn't realize <laughs> I didn't realize that I was just like, you know, whatever, it's cool if you're a zombie. Like, you know, I'll just move the microphone farther away from me. Like so. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get bit. Uh, nothing like that happened. Uh, but yeah, I made the trip out to uh, Monroeville. <laughs> and- was there like a hotel where like like people all stay at this one hotel and there's like the one creeper that has a sign on the door saying, you know, interesting getting bit. Come to room 305. It's like, nah, I don't know about that. Yeah. No, but I think the next convention I go to, I'm just going to put that sign up, see what happens. Uh, you'll, you'll, somebody will be like, yes. And you're like, I, I didn't mean you. I'm sorry, sir. All right, so anyway, continue. Um, yeah, so we made the trek uh, into Pennsylvania, the land of hills and mountains. Um, well, Pennsylvania stands for Penn's Woods. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, oddly enough, I did not. It's also a commonwealth, not a state. I, I don't know if you know that as well either. So I, you know, I went to college in Penn's Woods. So. <laughs> I'm learning all kinds of new things about Pennsylvania. Yeah, so yes. Um, I watched my wife get to have some serious road rage. and. Uh, <laughs> I heard that the construction on the inter- on the on the what was it the toll road in Ohio going into Pennsylvania was a nightmare. Yeah, it, it was bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, once we we made it there, uh, we got there Friday afternoon and uh, basically got to the mall around eh, I think like four o'clock somewhere around in there. Um, and then we started like spending money right away. So like we were, we were there like, I don't know, like maybe 20 minutes and my wife is like, I bought this shirt. It was like a, I think it's Lou LaRoe or something along those lines, but it's like a, it's some brand, but it was like a nightmare before Christmas shirt. And like, it was a little bit more expensive to say than regular, like a regular (laughs) t-shirt. And then there was this guy who was selling these like shadow boxes that had movie artwork in it, but it was like almost 3d in a sense in that like it was layered so it'd be like here's the background here is the you know the the um the midground then the foreground and then an image in front of it so it looked kind of 3d-ish almost and one of my wife's favorite movies is jaws and he had one of those and she immediately fell in love with that (laughs) so like 20 minutes in, she'd already spent, like, a, not a ton, but, like, she'd already started spending money, and I was like, oh, this is how this weekend's gonna go. Like, did you look at your budget? You're like, all right, I have this much for the food court. No, we don't have that for the food court now. It's fine. Well, no, I was worried that I was gonna, like, be the one who would just walk in and be like, 
Here, I got money. Take it all. That's how I am when I go to the mall anyway, but you're going to the mall <laughs> for a specific purpose, this mall for a specific purpose. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, you know, walking in, I was I was expecting to, like, it's a mall. I don't know. Like, you can definitely see that it's the Dawn of the Dead mall, so that aspect of it is cool. But, like, you know, there's part of me that's like, God, I wish the Brown Derby was here. I want to go eat in that Brown Derby that's, you know, featured in the, the movie. Like, I want to go shop at the gun store that's right. featured in the movie. I know I made that joke before because I know that wasn't in the mall. But it's like, I like the idea that there was like a like just a regular mall store that just sold guns. Like, yeah. Like, like there, there are stores around here that sell samurai swords or they used to. Remember a couple of those? Yeah. Where it's like, you know, I don't know who needs like finely crafted ninja stars, but I'll go to the mall right by the casino <laughs> trucks and, and get a tuxedo and some ninja stars. Um, so, go in for your prom ninja stars. So, I mean, they... they I know this is one of, like, people, this is becoming a thing now where, like, the mall, like, they do this, well, not once a year, but I know they've done other events there at this mm-hmm. mall, um, and I think that because of its association with the Romero film is is why it's kind of sticking around, because malls as a function, you know, they're hit or miss anymore about which ones, like, stay around and which ones go away, yeah. and the Monroeville Mall isn't exactly, you know, the hotbed of, uh, you know... <laughs> I don't know, economic growth, you know, it's like, it's, there's other malls around Pittsburgh that are newer and probably better, you know, so. I mean, there were some vacant storefronts in it, but, uh, and, you know, honestly, uh, the show itself was set up in like four vacant stores. (laughs) So that tells you a little bit about the state of uh, the mall situation as far as like, you know, they've got room uh, available to rent, so. Uh, but I mean, it was when there's no more room in hell. There's definitely room to rent at the Monroeville <laughs> Mall. Um, but it it was a nice mall. Don't get me wrong. And I I I really enjoyed like just walking it and kind of being in a uh, piece of film history. Um, well, that's an important film to you. Like yeah. in the Romero. I mean, not not that it's not just you. I mean, I'm saying like you know, like you've how many times me have you no watched Dawn of the Dead? How many times have you watched that? You know, like I don't know, like I'm but gonna, it's one that you've seen, yeah, more than enough times to yeah. like, oh, like the number is high enough to where you can't put a number on it, right? So yeah. it doesn't like it's an important film. Like if there actually was a Haddonfield, Illinois, I'm sure you would have been there by now, right? <laughs> like that, and, and you would have been there, but Be- whatever. Believe me, we've been to L.A. twice. And I'm like, you know, we could just drive down to Pasadena <laughs> and see the Myers house. Yeah, right. So you know that Illinois place that had all the palm trees. Um, <laughs> so this this was a, a, a Dawn of the Dead specific. Uh, convention though yeah yeah and uh i got to uh i i say it like i got to like some sort of special access but like everyone else but i i met uh galen ross uh and uh scott reiniger and ken forey who were the stars of the film and uh i also met uh legendary tom savini yeah and uh greg nicotero uh who didn't work on dawn of the dead but did on day of the dead so um, and he's Land of the Dead in every other like movie that you've seen in the last twenty years. He's probably done special effects for. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, not that he's like the second generation, but he was a little younger than a couple of the guys working on the stuff, and he, he came. He's kind of Savini's protege. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and Nicotero did a lot of stuff for The Walking Dead too, right? Yeah, yeah, he does a ton of stuff for The Walking Dead. Yeah. Plus, he directs episodes, and like, I don't know when the man sleeps. Like, I literally don't. <laughs> well, because he um he showed up to Wizard World Cleveland a couple years ago. And I, it's one of those things where I probably should pay better attention, but I didn't. But I know that they had one of the prosthetics from Tusk 
there and it had okay. like the walrus head and i was just like i have to stand beside that <laughs> and like you know he did <laughs> so he did the makeup for that that's cool though because like not only does he have a pedigree and like you know horror film history he's pushing the art form forward because it's it's k and b not k and b what's it what are they called k and b i always think kb toys but that's that speaking of stores that aren't in malls anymore um but yeah k and b is the one that does a lot of the effects like that the stuff that you love k and b's probably doing it yeah um and what's funny too is is that uh uh, I shouldn't say funny. It's just interesting. We got to uh, see a panel that was just Tom Savini and Greg Nicotero talking for an hour, and that was That's worth awesome. the price of admission, admission alone. Like, how many sex hearing... machine questions did uh, did were asked? I think there was two. There yeah. was a couple. Oddly enough, my wife, like she, she was like, I want to buy. Like, well, first. I'll step back. There was um, Savini did the Leatherface mask for. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Okay. And um, he recently did a run from the original of, like, replicas to sell. And they're like, he had one at the show. It was $500. It was stunning to see it. Huh. Um, but I, I don't have $500 to spend on a... Like I said, we went in spending money, but we weren't, like, blowing $500 <laughs> in one spot. At, like, <laughs> you know? That but, was, that's that's a good, like, spur-of-the-moment purchase yeah. that you'd just be, like, later on in your house be like... Where do we put this? <laughs> and where do we put this where people don't think something's wrong with us? Yeah. Um, but uh, what, is, what is it? What is it? What is that, a leather face? What are you going to? Yeah. So tell me that story. Like, 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 have you, like, have you seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I don't watch movies. So tell me what's going on with this leather face. <laughs> but uh, the short of it is, is that uh, I don't think he was at his table at the time. But I was looking at that mask, and Kathy's like, oh, I wish like they had like the sex machine, like the, the, the cod piece. <laughs> and I'm like, and and the guy who was like watching his table is like, oh well, you know, there's like three different photos of him, you know. In Dust Till Dawn, wearing you know the the cod piece as his character. And, yeah. So what Steve's mm-hmm. referring to, if you've not, if it's been a while since you've seen from Dust Till Dawn, he says cod piece. Tom Savini plays a character named Sex Machine, where he has uh, a gun with two uh, was it six chambers. Yeah. It, it, it looks like it looks like a dick and balls, but it's like a gun in his crotch that it is so ridiculous. But when it actually gets used in the movie, it's kind of awesome. I have to say, like, I'm not a huge From Dust Till Dawn fan, but that's probably my favorite part of that movie. I I have it somewhere. It's not, I, I don't have it up anywhere here, but whenever he, uh, Savini was at Cinema Wasteland, I had him sign a sex machine print because it's just, you, I couldn't not not do that. <laughs> so I have, I have a photo of him somewhere in the garb with him signing it. And I was the weirdest, like, like, oh, could you sign this? I like this movie. He's like, yeah, I like it too. I'm like, well, of course you were in it. I don't know what else to say. I'm going to go now. Like, it was a weird <laughs> moment. Um, so yeah, that's funny that people ask questions because it's like i i would be hard pressed not to ask a sex machine yeah and it's funny too because like uh i had got his signature on a i bought this beautiful uh, poster from uh ken forey oddly enough because i i didn't bring anything to sign because i was like i don't want to have the dvd signed and i I was like i want to get something there special to get signed and i was talking to ken forey and i'm like look i want to buy something from you to have you sign it, and I'm like, I like these two things. There was this giant poster. I shouldn't say giant. Giant. It was probably 24 by 36. I still got to measure it for a frame. But uh, the other thing was a 8 by 12 black and white um, of the cast. And I'm like, I'm trying to decide between these two. And I'm like, how much are they? He's like, well, this one's 40 and this one's 60. And I'm like, in my brain, it's only 20 dollars, but in my head, like for whatever reason, that's like my stumbling block it's, and he's well, like yeah it's but a he lot. looks at me and he's like this one's the best one for the value and he pointed to the poster and then i thought about it, i'm like yeah this is a gorgeous poster for 60 dollars that he's gonna sign and i can get everybody else's signatures mm-hmm. why don't i just spend the money on this but it was sort of like he was pretty much just like 
you know what you want. Like, <laughs> it's just very matter of fact about it. Like, 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 yeah. you're, like, you're doubting yourself, but you're pulling $60 out of your wallet as you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, That's funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, that was that was cool. Um, you know, uh, and I, I got Tom Savini to sign that, and then later on, uh, I realized because I have such a strong connection to something that's going to come up in our stories later uh, regarding a certain hockey mask uh, villain, uh, if you want to call him that. I call him uh, a wonderful son He's of a bitch. Mis- misunderstood. Yeah, <laughs> he's just a mama's boy. But. Uh, uh, I bought a cheap because uh, I have a really nice hockey mask that I didn't bring with me, and I was like, oh, I wish I'd have brought that to get him signed. So I bought a cheap, crappy one and had him sign that <laughs> as well. Uh, Are you just gonna cut that part out and just put it on the other no, one? No, <laughs> what I'm gonna do is, is I'm gonna actually like because uh, I've done this uh, with a, another hockey mask for a Halloween display. I'm gonna make it look a little bit more official and a little bit like painted up and That's make it cool. a little, well, and little then nicer. This, again, like I, I, I mentioned that I met, met him at Cinema Wasteland. He does show up there sometimes. I mean, it's really Cleveland's not that far out from Pittsburgh, you know, so he has showed up. So maybe you still have your opportunity to get him to sign, yeah. sign that. So Well, the funny thing is, is that like four is the first horror movie I ever saw in the theater. So, and that's the movie where he quote unquote killed Jason because it was supposed to be the final chapter. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was cool to get signed. I got something really cool from Greg T- Nicotero as well. And uh, uh, I had uh, Scott Reiniger, who, uh, if you know who he is in the movie, he's got a very famous line uh, where they're stealing some trucks. And he says, uh, we got this by the ass. So I asked him, <laughs> could you please sign my poster by writing, we got this by the ass, um, and, which he did, uh, which was very nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was it was a great weekend. Uh, got, you know... And again, like my wife is like, how many people do you think is going to be there? Because I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, oh my God, how many hours am I going to have to wait in line? She's like, it's Dawn of the Dead. It's not Star Wars Celebration. And I'm like, well, but it's, I I would not, I would not um, underestimate the power of those films. Because I mean, and, and, but I'm sure you're right. It probably wasn't the same turnout as a celebration, but whatever it's yeah. still, still pretty healthy you know well no it wasn't that she was comparing it it was just in my head that i'm thinking that i'm gonna have to fight crowds and like <laughs> you know everybody was for the most part pretty accessible i did have to wait you know i think a half hour for egg nicotero yeah but still a half hour that's like, not bad yeah, yeah absolutely so all right so um, we'll talk more about your experience at the mall uh at, at the end of the show um, I'll just briefly mention just because like I, I had to do some grown up things this past weekend, meaning I had to go to a wedding I not had to, it's, it's my, it's my friends, Whitney and Brian, they were getting married and it was a wonderful, wonderful wedding. Uh, it was someplace like, I think it's called like Nickajack farms, but I keep wanting to call it Nickelback farms. And I know that's not right at all because <laughs> this place was nice and I'd go there again and it's definitely, <laughs> but like I, just, I struggled because, uh, it was there with, you know, with my wife and we're sit, we're seated at a table with no one that we know. Mm-hmm. And it's like this awkward, like, all right, well, what do you do? And I just realized that, like, I'm sitting there in a shirt and tie, which I, I'm not a shirt and tie guy. I just, that's just the way I am. I don't know. I just, I feel like I, normally, well, it used to be because I didn't understand that, you know, collars or shirts would come in different sizes. So I'd always give myself a headache while wearing a shirt and tie. <laughs> I didn't realize it's just because I have a fat neck, but I it just, you sit there and it's like, and, and, and I don't, I, and, and I don't know about you, but it's like, I don't have children. Like I'm almost 40. Like I'm really, really close to 40. I, I, my life goals 
clearly are different than most people probably around my age. And I don't know how to relate to anybody anymore. So I'm just like sitting there waiting. Everyone's like, so like, how do you guys know the bride and groom? And then blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like talking and, and I didn't know what to say. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, well, there's alcohol around. So I had some alcohol and that helped a little bit. And then eventually because we're at a wedding, it's like, you just start asking like, so are you guys married? How did you get married? Please tell me every detail about strangers. I don't know. And about your wedding day. Like I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And it was frustrating. Someone eventually mentions that they watched, um, a quiet place. And I'm like, Oh, you like horror movies. And I was like, blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's all I talked about for like 10 minutes. <laughs> but then I realized that what I start what I was starting to talk about was not in their, their range. Yeah. So then I went right back to, I don't know what to talk about. Like it was, it was weird. Yeah, you'd post I think on Facebook. You were like, I don't know how to have grown up adult small yeah. talk, and it's true. I feel like that all the time. Like, if I get asked about something, like even at work, like my coworkers, like I don't think they really know how into stuff I am. But like, you know, one of the people that I work with went to high school with my wife, so I think he's got like a little bit of an idea. But there's this thing of, like, you know, when people start talking about, like, you know, any sports, um, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just going to sit here quietly and listen to my podcasts or <laughs> listen to music because I can't contribute to this conversation yeah. or, you know, like, it's just, it's tough. And especially when you're meeting new people. Like, my wife's a social butterfly. And even though I do a podcast and I go to conventions and stuff like that, it's very tough for me to, like meet new people and like have a discussion mm -hmm. because there's also part of me that's just like you know i am over 40 years old unfortunately i don't know how many more conversations i want to have that are just meaningless about things that i don't care about like <laughs> i like having me meaningless conversations in podcast form i don't know if i like no them I, I like them about the things that i care about but like i i <laughs> sometimes it's just like it takes too much effort to sit here and pretend i care about whatever somebody's yeah. telling me about like yeah and it's just one of those things like the older i get the 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 more it is frustrating. It's not because, like, I like what I like. I'm in. I'm into what I'm into. So my point of reference is different than somebody else. I, I acknowledge that. Uh, it's just, I, I don't know. It's this hard thing where it's like, I, because someone else's life is completely different than my own, their priorities are different. So it's hard to have like any type of just like pleasant conversation. It's just more like, okay, I don't know anything about you. Just please keep talking about yourself, and I'll say, uh huh, that's interesting. Tell me more, and I'll try. Like, I mean, I don't. I mean. I'm I'm pretty good at having a conversation generally, but it's just at weddings it's a little weird for me because unless I know everybody around me, it just it's it's not my atmosphere. Like you would think that you know a bunch of food and alcohol I'd be good to go. Yeah. But if I don't know people, then it's it's just this kind of like all right, I, I make sure I didn't get barbecue sauce on me. I succeeded, you know, and that's just so it was still it was a nice wedding, um, you know. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those things where I, I will go, I will celebrate the union of my friends and I, you know, wish them the best. Um, it's just that maybe in the future, I just need to make, make more friends and hopefully get placed around tables with people. I know that's really all I can hope for. <laughs> um, the one thing I'll say about this place is weird. It's a small, it was a smaller venue. Um, it was a barn converted into like a little meet, like, like a event center type of thing. Mm -hmm. Really nice on the inside. One of my friends described it as she was like, I'm not sure how barnish this place was going to be. And she's like, <laughs> and it's like, basically it's like, like, that's a good way to, she's like, I don't know if that's a word. I'm like, barnish is a perfect word for this place. There was there was a, a men's room and, and women's room on the bottom floor, but it was just one 
one bucket. it was a bucket it was actually a horse stall you went <laughs> in and had to push the horse aside uh, no I, it was just one you know one sink one toilet and that was the that was the one bathroom and so obviously this is an event center that hold, that has weddings and alcohol and i'm like waiting like politely <clears throat> for the downstairs restroom and like I, I touch the handle it's locked because i didn't want to do that thing of just like walk on in because yeah, that would make things weirder you know yeah um and so i'm waiting and then as i'm waiting someone stands behind me and it's this older gentleman and, he, and it's like i have to kind of do the whole like i'm gonna touch the handle again to show you that i'm not just standing here <laughs> and you know and so then he, he's looking at me and i'm just like i i don't know what's going on and i look i look upstairs and there's like like this um balcony area and i see another set of restrooms and i'm like Sweet. I'm just going to go walk up there. As I'm walking from there, so I gave up my spot downstairs. Oh, I know where this is going. Uh, maybe, maybe. Okay. Uh, and I go walking upstairs, and someone beelines in front of me as they're going up the steps, and they get in, they get in line for the men's restroom in front of me, right? So then as I'm waiting for the other person in that restroom to get out, so guy past me is now in front, right? So I can't be like, dude, I was going that way, but you walked faster than me. I can't do that. The older gentleman that was downstairs is now upstairs behind me, and um and he's like looking at me again like like it's like it's my fault that the bathroom is like constantly full and he looks over he's like well is there anybody in the women's restroom i'm like i don't think so he's like well i was like would you would you stand guard while i go use the restroom i'm like fine that's fine like I, it's like fine so he goes and uses the women's restroom so i have to kind of so I, I get out of line to go make sure this guy could use the restroom i would have just walked away and it, but because but I also didn't want to like I don't want to be that guy where like someone's trying to walk in the women's restroom and there's an old dude in there you know like so so he he uses it and he's like well he's like you want me to watch you while you like wait wait not watch not watch you do you want me to watch the door while you? I'm like no I'm good I, I'm good and I try to get back in line and I think then the guy that took my place saw kind of what happened he was like do you do you want to go I'm like thank you but it was like a ten minute ordeal of downstairs upstairs watching the women's restroom and it's like and I just sat back down at the table looked at Mary and was like that was way more of an adventure that needed to be like i just think if you have an event center and you have multiple restrooms i think you should have multiple stalls in those rooms as well i mean it's, this is a barn you could have planned this out better like you know because i'm sure there's been a lot of um bathroom materials in that barn well before it became an <laughs> event center so yeah that was my weekend it was it, you know it was a fine wedding. It was fun. I also now believe I can become a wedding DJ. All I need is uh, a one laptop that plays the same eight songs mm -hmm. and a speaker that doesn't project well enough that you understand what's being said, but you know someone's giving a toast. It, That's the two keys I need <laughs> to be a one, wedding DJ. Is one of those songs by Journey? <laughs> Maybe. I, who knows? I I wouldn't know, but it was just all like, all right, time for some toast. He's here. It's like, yeah, it's, it's really touching and, and on it. Great. So, I anyway. know we're running long with our weekends, uh, but uh, I, I just have one question to ask you real quick. Mm -hmm. This is something that popped up over the weekend uh, and why why my wife, I'm A, amazed, still is married to me or married me at all, but B, uh, <laughs> the way that she's still surprised by the things that I do. So, when you go to, a, say, a drive-thru, McDonald's, Wendy's, Taco Bell, whatever, and you pull up to the drive-thru, what do you expect them to say to you? Uh, you know, welcome to wherever, please you know, uh, please order or whatever. Like something may that I take your right? order. Yeah, may I take your order, yeah. There's this thing now where restaurants are not doing that, where they're just like, hi, how are you today? Yeah, I don't like that, because I'm just like... And so I all this is how I responded. I responded, I'm doing very well, thank you for asking. 
<laughs> and, then, and then someone else's voice comes on and be like, uh, uh, are you ready to order? Like, yeah. it's like, no, 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 no. You wanted to know about my day and know about me. Let's talk about me for a bit. <laughs> and my wife's like, why did you do that, you weirdo? And why did you use like a radio voice? And I'm like, they asked. I mean, if Arby's is going to ask how I'm doing, come on, Arby's, you already know how I'm doing. I'm an Arby's. <laughs> I, I told know? her, I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, you're lucky I didn't go with the reverse and go, you know what? I'm having a real rough patch in my life right now. Yeah. Do you have time to talk about this? Yeah. You know, and I don't know why it's a thing that I'm conditioned to like pull up the drive through because it's been that way for my entire life where they ask, you know, welcome to so-and-so's. May I take your order? Not how are you doing? No. Because that just like, basically means that they don't care how I'm doing. I just think it's like if they say, welcome to so-and-so's, how are you doing? Order when ready. Like I mean, that's that still that's still that doesn't feel right. But I, yeah, you're right. It's just, but I don't like that that sneaky automated voice that shows up before the real voice, yeah. where it's like, you know, like because the, they paid one person once to be happy about the job, yeah. and that's the happy you hear to begin with, not the six seconds after where they're angry <laughs> that you haven't went ahead and made your order already, where they're yeah. standing at the cashier or at the cash register trying to, you know, also give the guy change who's ahead of you or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So anyway, so. all right. That's that was a lot of things. So we'll we'll burn through. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, here's the commitment. We'll burn through some news, and then as, as soon as I say that, we're going to spend a long time on the news. So let's just get some news. Good news, everyone. Uh, the, not good news. Hooray! Hooray! Denied. So. Um, you read a little bit about this before we started recording. Uh, I, we, we even had an episode. That was one of the times I had you on before. You were <clears throat> a regular, you know, before the show jumped the shark. I don't know. Um, Friday the 13th, the game, uh, which I suck at, but I own, um, has been getting regular content updates. You mentioned Tom Savini did some uh, Friday the yeah. 13th work. He actually designed a special Jason that is in the game, you know. Um, and people like they, the game's only been getting better. It's been getting more diverse uh, in the sense that they've been adding actual characters that were counselors. They've been adding. I know Uber Jason was teased uh, from Jason X. Not that Jason drives an Uber. That would be an awesome movie. Um, where it's like instead of this... killing you, he just drives around picking you up and <laughs> taking like, you places. Yeah. But but he only keeps taking you to camp. You're like, I don't want to come to camp. You know, it's like you try to go to a liquor store. And he's like, you don't want to do that. You know, but um, so something happened recently where now the game is going to be put in like this permanent hiatus because uh, and, and you could go in a little bit more about this, but basically it's indefinitely put Friday 13th, the game on hold. Like it's still active, but there's not going to be any new content brought into the game. Yeah. And I'm going to preface this by saying neither myself nor Paul are lawyers in case you were wondering. Um, but uh, I mean, I mainly know bird law. <laughs> the writer of the original Friday 13th, Victor Miller, um, when he'd written the original Friday 13th, it was basically a work for hire type job. He got paid $9,500 at the time, which I'm sure in 1978 was, you know, buku bucks. But um, the long story or the, the short of the story is, is that um, he never got any participation beyond that for something that, you know, spawned 12 movies, uh, a video game, tons of merchandise, things like that. And the reason he has filed suit is, is because after 35 years, according to the copyright uh, law, someone who has actively participated in creating something who did not get the creative rights at the time of their deal or had signed them away can uh i don't know how you repetition for them i suppose is the best way of putting it basically it's so that they can get money for the thing that they they contributed to that made a lot of money um and 
I'm just going to reference this and say go to Bloody Disgusting because the gentleman named Larry Zerner, who was Shelley in part three, is now a lawyer. And there's a story where he kind of breaks down the whole story because I honestly didn't quite understand it from reading all the other different articles until I read this article. So it went up today. Go to bloodydisgusting.com and read it. But the, the long and the short of it is, is that he is taking advantage of an act that was put into place so that people who did create things didn't get screwed for the entire time that that thing was in perpetuity. Yeah, so. the, the article that she's referencing, they definitely go read it because there's more. It like it could make him sound like a villain, but that's not the like. There's there's more to this, and we don't know the whole story right. about it. We don't know. The, 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 you know, the, obviously 35 years, something's been cooking for a while. You know, there might have been, who knows, right? Maybe it's just him just finally being like, you know what? I didn't make the money. I want to make sure no one else can make the money until I get mine. And which, I mean, say what you want. I mean, that, like, if I created something that I'd only made, like, you know, $9,000 on at the time or whatever, and, and it went on to become a big thing. I think I'd be a little frustrated with it too, you know, because yeah. I'm trying to think of like what they're, they're, well, I mean, look at comics. There's a number of different, um, creators out there that have made things under the banner of Marvel and DC that they now get credit, but they didn't get like financial credit. Like uh, Jerry Conway created a uh, Green Arrow, or no, no, he, Punisher. Yeah, uh, Punisher, right? So he created Punisher. Um, that's a big deal, you know. Like, and and then uh, he didn't really get, you know. There's a Netflix series. People know Frank Castle. Every every bro dude has a Punisher T-shirt, you know. Like, he didn't get, you know, like. He didn't even get the money from the Dolph Lundgren movie that made seven dollars. He probably didn't get that, you know. But yeah. there, there is times for the, you know, like it just. I mean, the, the famous ones for me are in the seventies. Basically, DC Comics and Warner had to be shamed into giving health care and uh, profit participation to the Siegel to Siegel and Schuster, who created Superman. Yeah. Um, it, there's actually also a very fascinating documentary. On uh, on Hulu right now um, about Bob Finger. I'm sorry, Bill Finger. Um, Bill Finger was essentially the co-creator of Batman, and pretty much everything that you know about Batman was he was the one who came up with it. Um, and when you see like what Bob Kane's version of Batman was before <laughs> Bill Finger stepped in, it's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it took a very long time for him to even finally get credit on the movies, but he died like penniless uh, in the late '60s, early '70s. Um, from something that was already like a huge, huge sensation for over 30 years at that point. So Yeah, and there's even, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, there was someone that's been credited for basically Disney's early success, like Walt Disney's early success, and he just kind of took over what... Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he had like the Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and that became like like th that style and presentation. A lot of people argue that Disney took it, but yeah. he... You know, so yeah, I, I'm not. I can't be upset that a creator wants to get a slice of the pie. I can't be mad about that. I guess what I'm frustrated with is like, while that gets all figured out, that shouldn't affect gun gun media's way of like the contents there. And yes, they signed a deal with you know uh, Sean Cunningham for the Friday Thirteenth you know to use in the game. Like I, I feel like that's punishing them and the player base until this gets worked out and, and and I'm sure the accounting will still account for every dollar spent on that game and then the development of this extra content so that when it gets figured out people will get paid what what is appropriate so I don't I just feel bad that the game is going to be like for something that it was a surprise hit when it came out and it's only been getting better and better and better this has to be a huge blow to uh, gun media and Elphonic and the people behind it because there's people with real jobs 
that were making you know making this content and they're they're feeding their families because people were excited for Friday Thirteenth again. Well, then and like just you know fans in general are feeling slighted, and I, I feel like that's an unfortunate side to this because I absolutely get that, and I'm not saying one way or the other like what Victor Miller should get. It's way beyond what I could you know even begin to like talk about you know because you know there's arguments for well you know the series isn't what it was when he wrote the first one or but then you can also say well he did come up with the character of jason you know even though it's not what you know uh when you think of jason nobody ever thinks of the first one when they think of friday the 13th most of the time yeah um so i i I don't know like I, i i understand you know his wanting to get a piece of the pie i mean it's completely legal it's part of the um copyright act it's not like he's you know <laughs> like he's been sitting for 35 years biding his time being like 2018's when i strike like <laughs> i'm sure that like you know he's got a lawyer who's like hey you know you could you know finally get a piece of this you know and I, there's a part of me who just feels like deservedly so in the sense that like he did create something that went on to make millions of dollars and maybe he should get a piece of that so yeah so I just think the game itself shouldn't be punished because of no, it. No, and I, I, I certainly understand that point of view as well. Because I just there's potential that there'd be younger people that would like the game that want to explore the series. So I think, in essence, it's going to constantly keep people interested in the series, which could eventually make all parties interested more money. That's right. my whole thing. Is like, And it isn't like they're creating, quote-unquote, new content for the game. They're kind of... They keep like mining you know, all those movies for... Because that's what people want. People want uber jason they there was even a clickable uh skin that you can go from i forget which jason it was in the game but you can make them the purple and teal one from the nes game like you can make them purple which by the way purple jason coming after you is even scarier because it's like it doesn't even make sense um but you know it's like there's all like it's all this love of this that is you know has been through the years so i just i feel like it would be win-win where it's like you know let let gun media do what they're going to do um and and keep the, the the fires burning until they decide that part of it. Like I mean, I just I'm sure there could be a, like an agreement worked out. With and I that. think that's part of it is that you know the story that I read said that you know there could have been an agreement worked out, but instead Sean Cunningham, who owns the rights, sued Victor Miller. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's yeah. what really kind of seems to have put the kink in all this and you know for a series about a bunch of machetes all over the place that is a backstabbing kind of move. i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> that's my legal terminology no, i don't know what's going on yeah but, i mean I, i'm not saying that yeah. one claim is more valid than the other but i understand why there's a lawsuit as opposed to and i feel like the families know. of crystal lake need to bring suit against those guys who do it for <laughs> all the counselors killed but yeah so we'll see we'll see what happens but it's just uh, that's frustrating so um you know what we have a third story. Comcast is going to make an offer to buy uh, Fox. You know, blah 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 blah. We want we want Disney to get all the Marvel stuff, but this is billionaires arguing about billions of dollars. Talk about we have no point of reference as lawyers. I have no point of reference as being a billionaire. Let's I someone's going to buy Fox. I hope it's Disney because I want all of Marvel together. But I'm really really hoping one rich guy buys another rich guy's thing like i don't understand that it's like me playing monopoly and being like oh i'm out of the game i hope you guys have fun you know so whatever i, the, the, I guess i'll just hang out on baltic avenue yeah. while i'll watch you guys fight <laughs> yeah. over like, boardwalk like, and did you ever play the nes monopoly game like when you yeah would, so when you lose it's like you ended up being the monopoly guy but fishing for a fish skeleton out of a trash can <laughs> it's like that's pretty much what i feel so whatever you, that's that's ongoing we'll see what happens but uh so e3 was this weekend 
Um, a lot of games announced, a lot of exciting things. I just want to mention they uh, Bethesda announced Fallout 76. Um, the reason I love the first 75 games. Yeah, they're pretty great. Uh, so the big thing about this, aside from the fact that, like, so I know Steve, you're you know you were kind of reading up on the Fallout stuff a little bit. So there's a, a lot of information. It's interesting uh, to me that you pulled this specific article up because this is the one that I pulled up. And as I'm reading it, I see a here's a 40 minute documentary on this game. I'm like, I don't have time for no. a 40 minute documentary. But once I got past like maybe the first paragraph, I didn't understand most of it. So <laughs> um, the big the big this, things to take away from this is that Fallout is kind of like that uh that 50s future okay. like uh, basically like you know how the 50s was all like everything's going to be great in the future and everything's supposed to be space age imagine that but then like you know atomic war happened and it's like so civilization civilization kind of stopped but you have that like 50 sci-fi retro vibe through the wasteland right okay so and there's so this game it, it, it's very kind of tongue-in-cheek at times like it has what what you see like there's the cartoon character here they call him the 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 pip boy he's kind of like the mascot for the vault tech vault tech is this company that made all these underground vaults that were supposed to save humanity uh and the the, in the event that the bombs will drop which yeah they pretty much counted on it because i think they're the ones that also kind of helped that happen so there's all these vaults across the country and so 76 is actually the story of vault 76 Oh. Um, and which is something that's been teased in the other Fallout games. Like, uh, I know with Fallout 4, I think that was Vault 101, which is in Boston, the Boston area. Um, the series originally started in California. Um, the first couple of games, then Bethesda bought it and they, they moved the series to the East Coast because they want to see what would happen story-wise. So, like, Fallout 3 takes place in Washington, D.C. area. 4 takes place in Boston. Um, there's, there's Fallout New Vegas, which takes place in New Vegas. You know, whatever. So you see these effects, right? And there's like all this like quote unquote fallout from the decisions made at the time. And it's always like a couple hundred years in the future after the bombs dropped. 76 goes backwards a little bit to shortly after this all happened. So it deals with Vault 76, which has been talked about in the games. Um, the, the, the big things I wanted to mention about this one, this is the first online fallout game, meaning the other ones have been standalone games you could just play by yourself. And you interact with the world NPCs, very RPG heavy, all that stuff, right? This one is going to have those elements, but it's also going to be open world, meaning that as you're out there running around being a scavenger in the wasteland, you're going to see other people, like other players. I don't know how that's going to go, because it's it's going to try to be what they call a survival game in the sense that it is, it is you know, post-apocalyptic. But a lot of these games that are made to be survival games, there's heavy stakes if you die while out there gathering resources. Bethesda's going to probably find that sweet spot of like, you know, risk versus reward. Um, so I think people are really excited for this. I don't know if they're ready for this like multiplayer situation, you know, so that'll be interesting to see that happen. Like my wife loves the fallout games, but she doesn't like interacting with people. So there's going to be a decision to be made here. If she wants to play this game and talk to people. She might play the game and then be like, I can't get anywhere. I'm like, you should talk to people. She's like, I don't want to do that. Like, so I'm like, well, go to vault by yourself. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Vault alone. Vault Vault one. So Party of one. My understanding is that there are monsters in the game, too. Will you be, like, teaming up with other people? To, like, I'm going to guess because there's, like, uh, there's things called rad scorpions, which those showed up in the West. Uh, and you see them in the other games, too. There's these huge mutated scorpions. There's something called a death claw. Uh, which is a huge behemoth of the monster that you have to face. Uh, they, so I'm 
going to guess that there's going to be ones out there that probably, you know, there's there's probably savvy people that could probably handle stuff on their own. But there's people like me that would end up shooting themselves with their own guns. So, yeah, you need a party probably. So there's going to be that. So they're going to try to do this kind of persistent online world. That's exciting. What's exciting to me, though, is that this game is actually set in West Virginia. And like, it's just interesting because like I grew up in West Virginia and save all your jokes. I've heard them all. I've probably told most of them myself, the trailer to this game, which I don't know if you saw the little two minute teaser trailer for the game. Um, you, I don't know if you watched that or not. I'm shaking my head now. Like know. you people can um, see at home. There's a brief shot and I'll show it to you after the show, uh, of the state Capitol kind of in ruin. So you see Charleston, West Virginia with the Capitol building in the background and like this rad scorpion just wandering around. And I just looked at my wife. I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's accurate today. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, and then you hear the, the, um, uh, almost heaven, West Virginia playing over the trailer. The, um, what's his name song, you know, uh, Bob Denver, not Bob Denver. That's Gilligan, John Denver, <laughs> <laughs> but I Bob wasn't Denver. going to correct you yeah, either. Like, I didn't catch it, you know, whatever. Uh, and so, I'm really hoping Bethesda doesn't just go for lowest common denominator of the jokes. Everyone's a hillbilly. Oh God. I just, I, I hate that term so much. <laughs> I hate hillbilly. I hate the term redneck. I have my own personal reasons for that. Everyone's a son of the soil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're children of the dirt. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> there's also another shot in the game too. That shows something that looks almost like the white house. Um, I believe it's the Greenbrier resort in West Virginia, which is a real place. Um, if you guys want to go down a rabbit hole, look up. It's on Wikipedia. It's called Project Greek Island. This is actually a real thing. This isn't a conspiracy theory. Uh, the government thought in the advent of like complete like annihilation, they would need a, pl- a base of operations in which to operate the government. Greenbrier, West Virginia, this resort was built with the purpose of having this whole underneath area so government could work. And so that's like it's a fallout shelter that was like like completely tricked out. So Vault 76 it, is... It could be Greenbrier, and okay. I think it might be. And if it is, I mean, good one, Bethesda, because the story is actually true, and you can go to Greenbrier, the resort's still there. It's just that once the story was broke about this happened in, like, the 90s, they're like, well, we can't use this anymore because it's no longer a secret base. Like, there's literally a secret base in this resort. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited that they're leading into that. I think if that's the case, that's kind of cool that that might be actually Vault 76. I think that's kind of neat. Uh, so there's actually some legitimate history there. So look up Project Greek Island. Um, and the funny thing is a lot of what made that like this perfect base was out in the open the entire time and no one thought about it. Like no one put two <laughs> and two together because it's like, why would important government people come to West Virginia? It's like, and that was the thought is that no one would look there to attack, you know, but so this will be interesting. We'll see how the game goes um, because it's online and it's kind of like, you know, I might be interested in it. I like the Fallout series, but sometimes sometimes they get to be a bit much in terms of you could do everything. I kind of like the, the online grind grind of a goal. Like I, I've been playing world of Warcraft for over 10 years. So I'm always about like, I could go online and make my guy better, you know, like, so we'll see. Uh, I'm sorry that you started reading paragraphs and didn't understand what they were talking about. <laughs> oh, and the Mothman's going to make an appearance. Uh, the Mothman, you know, point pleasant, the Mothman, the, the, the myth of the Mothman in point pleasant, West Virginia. You don't know the Mothman prophecies from Richard Gere, that film? I didn't see it because it oh. starred Richard Gere. It, well, that's fair. But no, the Mothman's <laughs> a local, it's a local legend, and it's like supposedly there's this Mothman. So you see in the trailer the silhouette of the Mothman. I like the fact that like that, that there it could be this irradiated guy that just turned into a Mothman as opposed to whatever. So I, I they've done their research. I just hope they don't go for the obvious jokes. That's my whole thing. Is like treat it with a little bit of not 
not respect, but it's like you're you're telling the story of this location. You could tell whatever story you want. You don't have to go with dirt poor people that happen to be around when the bombs dropped. You know? Every character is the the one guy from uh, oh oh the movie we watched uh, Super Bro with um oh god he everybody was representing different countries except oh, oh, he had a oh, rebel oh. hat on. No no you're talking about um oh what is that Megaforce. Megaforce. Yeah everybody had a different country flying on their their uh, shirt representing like cuz it's Megaforce and there's the one idiot with the Confederate flag it's like what country are you representing? He was like Vault 76 y'all like yeah which historically doesn't make sense by the way because West Virginia was part of the north but whatever anyway they split off and, and they left they left the south so that shouldn't apply i'm excited for the game we'll see how it goes anyway so there you go look at that we we took a long time so let's just get to let's just get to andre the giant and now for our feature presentation so you suggested that we watch the andre the giant documentary for the show Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was calling on you and you're like, I hope he asked somebody else's question. Um, I know I know you have liked wrestling. I know that you aren't an avid wrestling watcher of the current stuff. Yeah. But you do have a soft spot, soft, soft spot for the earlier wrestling. So what was it about this that made you think that we should watch this for, for the show? So I don't remember if... I saw the trailer for this, or maybe even the documentary had premiered before this, but uh, I lost a Saturday one time, uh, like a couple months back on YouTube, uh, and I don't even—I don't know if it was the trailer that spurred it or if it was a conversation that we had had, but long story short, I started looking at old matches from when I was growing up watching wrestling, and uh, I mean, certainly there's some rose-tinted glasses and some, some nostalgia there, um, but I'd forgotten just how much fun wrestling is like uh you know you know you hear all of the like negative connotation that goes with you know people watching wrestling or you know i like even my wife like i'd mentioned you know it's like oh this was you know during my heyday and i was watching a match from i think like 93 and she's like you were like 18 in that at that point you were watching wrestling when you were high school i'm like there are people who watch wrestling as adults i'm like i don't <laughs> understand why it's such a negative thing um but uh long story short is that um i i really this documentary features solely on somebody who is a big part of my wrestling experience when i was watching it heavily so i was naturally drawn to it and then once i watched the documentary uh i just thought that like it presents not so much a side of him that we didn't know but like the things that we don't think about, like the documentary, and we'll get into this as we go a little bit further, but like just the things that he had to deal with every day, just being his size. There's a story about like how he would have to be on a flight for 14 hours and couldn't fit in the restroom, you know, um, or uh, just the fact that like he could never get away. Like, you know, even celebrities can go somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And I guess he kind of does this in the, the documentary because he buys a ranch somewhere, but like, he never gets to experience life as a normal person just because of his size. So those were aspects of it that I found fascinating. I guess it's a long-winded answer to a very well, simple no, question. I think that's the jumping off point because, I mean, so context is that I feel like wrestling's in a bit of a renaissance right now. And I mean, it's never went away. I mean, it's in the, like it's only gotten bigger, but I think 
it the forefront in people's minds like the average watcher of of media whether it is you know movies uh tv shows or whatever there is becoming this kind of nostalgic look back focus on some of this like there's the rick flair 30 for 30 that i've not watched yet i heard i heard it's pretty good but he doesn't really get into the reality of things it's more of the legend of rick flair which you know, it's Ric Flair. What else? What else are you gonna do? Um, and then there's this documentary. Um, and I know the WWE Network, which is funny that I mentioned that because part of this documentary was the rise of the WWF, honestly. Yeah. And and a lot of its success wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the clout of Vince McMahon's father being having having Andre under contract and kind of getting him out to these different territories and, and knowing that he had this kind of power. And then when Vince took over. <clears throat> Just him seeing him having, um, <clears throat> I'm getting choked up just talking about this, <laughs> uh, having the forethought of the rise of cable. And at the same time, like there's, it's easy to look back and be like, I made all these right decisions when people didn't. But I, one thing you can always see about Vince McMahon is he always has eyes of the future. Maybe not the correct way to look, but he's always thinking forward, yeah. right? So so there's a lot of this in that, right? So when I mentioned the WWE Network, this it feels like that's a lot of that's the culmination of what we saw in the documentary of him always thinking forward. There are a ton of documentaries on there. There's a ton of, like, it's uh, some of it's self-aggrandizing, talking about how great they are, but you, there are stories and there's appreciation. I think a lot of that's coming out now, and I think uh, when you have the success stories of people that can cross over, like The Rock, like John Cena, uh, like Stone Cold to a degree. I mean, he everyone knows Stone Cold. Everybody's heard Stone Cold 316. Everyone knows what you know. All that people they may not know exactly what he means by that, but people have seen the shirts. They've seen all of that, right? So there's there's appeal there. Um, especially with, with rock having like multiple, like number one movies this year, like at times like weird, you know, but so it's easy, not easy, but it's more prevalent now to kind of, I think people are more willing to look back and see how that all kind of came together. And someone like Andre the giant, which even if you're not a wrestling fan, you know who he is. I didn't realize how important and foundational just his existence was to bringing wrestling to where it is now. I was not aware of that. I just thought he was one of the guys, you know, that like one of the superstars, you know? Like, yeah. And that was a surprising part of this. And going into this weekend, uh, the Money in the Bank pay-per-view is going to be on, which is one of 87 pay-per-views that they do a year now, um, which is one of the, the more high-profile ones of of the 13 or whatever. I think I showed you the ones I did last year. Um, people are looking forward to it. You wouldn't have these events. You wouldn't have the spectacle without this guy who was, you know, over seven foot tall going to these different territories and just throwing guys out of the ring. You yeah, wouldn't have that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I think is so interesting is, is that they sort of built him up at first as like a lumberjack. Um, and then his name, I believe over there was like Andre the fairy or something. Oh, it was fairy because it was, yeah. something, it was a, a local French like folk hero. Yeah. That was a lumberjack. Yeah. And then when he came to the States, they're like, well, we can't call you that because it's got a negative connotation. <laughs> um, so they're like, let's just call him Andre the, Andre the Giant. And he basically, and they kind of compared it to a circus in the sense that like he would go from town to town to town because like you've seen him once and that's 
time to move on because you know you've, you've seen him wrestle now he's going to go somewhere else and do it all over again and amaze people in a new new city kind of thing um which is how wrestling was back in those days it was all local mm-hmm. it was all um you know if you lived in a town that had wrestling on you know maybe on like a saturday or sunday morning it was chances are you're watching it from that local town it wasn't like now where you could watch it or even when i was growing up like uh, I think I could watch wrestling at least three different times during the week and see something different. Like I, I know specifically growing up, uh, and I'm going to get into a little bit of personal detail here. Uh, but my parents had this thing of like, you know, you're living in this house, you're going to go to church until you're 18. So I was like, fine. And on Sunday mornings, we had church service at eight o'clock and at 10:30. And if I didn't have to work on a day that on a Sunday, and I had to go to church, and I would go before my parents did i would get up and go to the eight o'clock service sit there and you know rewatch episodes of tv in my head while it was going on and then get up and leave <laughs> and i would have to bring home a uh a, a, a bulletin to prove to my parents that i was there that day long story short after i would do that i would go to mcdonald's and get myself a big you know breakfast of uh hot kicks and sausage and then from like nine nine thirty ten until like noon or one o'clock it was just nothing but wrestling and i feel like it was on two separate channels at the time too i feel like it was on usa but it was a different program somewhere else as well and like long story short which i keep saying um well, just it's a, you're telling many short stories yes that, that long. <laughs> oh. everything's in an uh an anthology with me <laughs> uh but that was like for me that that was much bigger than what it was you know, 15 years earlier when it was all local. Um, and, you know, I really enjoyed the aspect of it being um, spectacle and fun. But at the same time, like back then, it was really about like, what can we do locally to like up the stakes, you know? And then once it hit cable, it, it just sort of exploded. Yeah. Um, which was, I think, where I was trying to go with that. Um, but, you know, when it comes to the actual uh, wrestling as we know it, I think he was the first superstar. I don't think there's any doubt to that. Like he, you know, maybe no, I. Well, they. they I even mean, there's Lawler that. with you know Andy Kaufman. There's stuff like that. But yeah, like, that was the '80s already. But like you, like they talked about it. So the idea of like the sports superstar is like. You had it. I mean, obviously, you know, baseball was big, football was big, but you didn't have like outside of like, and I'm sure people that are like like sports back then will tell me I'm wrong, but like there wasn't the age of the superstar. Like there was good players, everybody liked them, but it was like outside of like you talk about like Babe Ruth, and then there was obviously some Yankees and this, that, and the other, but uh, there wasn't like the big known. Like Muhammad Ali was probably the biggest one at the time because he was he was a presence more than like I mean, he was a, a gifted athlete. My God, but. You like you. Everyone knows Muhammad Ali for 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 what he was capable of saying and doing next, right? So you go from that to like, you know, who was that big star at that time, right? And for someone like Andre the Giant, who you know, he was working all these regional like matches, and 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 nothing was like television was coming, like televised matches, seen nationally wasn't the thing at the time. Everyone knew him. And I did. That's the other thing too. I feel like I saw Andre the Giant on his decline, not and not during his uh, rise. And I didn't realize how big. No, no pun intended. And that's not really a joke. 
like how how important he really was like finding out that he made multiple trips to japan to wrestle over there yeah uh which i didn't even i didn't even think about that because the japanese like you know wrestling culture is big too and it's like i mean it, a lot of the the programs they're putting on now rival and sometimes exceed the product of the WWE, but he was kind of an ambassador for being you know being someone completely different over there, right? And and just I don't know, like I just it it surprised me. I didn't realize the impact that he had. Like in the documentary, we have Hulk Hogan, which oddly enough, the middle point of the documentary kind of changes gears from Andre and goes to. Uh, Hulk Hogan, but it all makes sense in the end, but it does kind of like do like this 10 minute aside of, of him as well. I think it's important to understand that there was a passing of the torch is what I think they were getting yeah. at, but I do think they spent a little too much time on Hogan. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah but it was nice to see like him being a little humanized and not like my picture of him is, you know, either from, you know, 1985 where, you know, he's ripping his shirt off and he's the color of a hot dog. Um, <laughs> To you know things that we've found out about him recently and over the last like couple of years, so like you I just know. I thought your your default Hulk Hogan setting was Thunder in Paradise. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> He'll always be uh, the uh, no holds barred Hulk <laughs> yeah, Hogan. Yeah, um, like but he mentioned like you know like when when Andre was in the scene and he was the king of the castle. Like he looked up to him again, yeah. no pun intended. But it was like. This is the guy that like everything went through. Like you, you were if like because he was big enough and strong enough that if you didn't fall in line, he would beat the shit out of you. <laughs> that would be it. Like you'd be done, right? And I, and I kind of like I kind of like that he was kind of like the person that held it all together. But he was such a, a genuine and sweet person that it he wasn't he didn't he didn't act he didn't carry himself through fear, right? And and. I, and I granted, I know this is a documentary and you can look back with like a little bit of affection in the sense that you don't always want to, you know, tear down your heroes. And there was the one uh, wrestling historian. I didn't know that was a thing. There was two. There was two wrestling historians in this documentary. Well, there's it's one like, college where that's accredited course. Yeah. They're like, you know what? We're done with the VCR repair. We should do wrestling historians. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he, like, it just him like kind of just talking about like uh, just the myth and the legend of Andre the Giant versus the reality of him. And it's just one of those things. I just, I guess I just never put it together. Like, cause you grew up watching him. Uh, you, you joked cause we, we watched, um, we watched the WrestleMania three match before we started recording. Cause it was the kind of focal point at the end of the, the documentary. But as I was trying to find it on the WWE network, um, there was a listing for Hulk Hogan's rock and roll wrestling. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I remember watching that as a kid and Andre the giant was a character on there. And it's like, I just always kind of lumped him in with the bunch. I just didn't realize like, honestly, I mean, I guess if someone would have told me like he is, he has significant influence on what happened. I would have been like, that makes sense. But I, it was just never presented to me. And like my appreciation goes through the roof for him, not just for the physical toll that he went through. Cause he never stopped growing, you know, yeah. like, and that's, that's scary, you know, and just you talked about him not ever fitting in this world, and that's true, and him never feeling like like he could just like he always like he like you know they said that like an actor could always put on a, a baseball cap and sunglasses and go away and, and blend in. There was never a time that he could just go away. In seclusion, yes, but he just couldn't go to the movies. He couldn't well, just go. You know? That and just the thought of like so, for instance. Uh, you and I are both larger guys. Like, there's, you know, if you were to see us, we're we're both, you know, larger, heavier men, if you want to call it that. I like to think of myself as uh, stocky, 
um, or uh, as my mom would call me, husky. Husky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, wow, sometimes... you don't skip dessert, do you? No, I don't. I don't skip dessert. <laughs> Thank you. But, like, there are times where, you know, I'm... I'm sitting somewhere and I'm uncomfortable sitting in a chair because it's a smaller chair or, uh, you know, I feel squeezed into something because I'm a larger guy and I'm no, I'm like two feet shorter than him. <laughs> and like, you know, like I can't imagine. Pounds, yeah, later, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine what that must have been like for him where, you know, you're trying to sit in a chair and like, you know, maybe it's big enough for like half of your, you know, ass, if you will. Or... Well, didn't the, Rick Flair? He was in the documentary for a minute. He said something about like it'd be like living with baby furniture around, yeah, you know, children's furniture the entire time. And it's like you, you think about it. It's like that must be uncomfortable. But it's like no, that that is your existence, and I can't even begin to understand that. Like if know? I go to the movies and my knees are up against the seat in front of me, sometimes I'll get really uncomfortable because I'm yeah. trying to constantly shift around. Um, I, but that's his entire life, you know. Um, and there's a point where it's towards the end of the documentary where his brother shows like this gigantic chair that his mother had made for him so that he could sit comfortably like while he was at home. And um, it's a very humanizing aspect in the sense that like they don't they don't make it like, you know, like, oh, feel bad for him. It's just that like this was the reality that he lived with. And um you know the, the pain that he was in you know they talk about a little bit um you know him being famously known as being able to drink anyone not they don't say under the table but like drink like literally amounts of alcohol that would kill a normal human being you know yeah um, the, and, the, the joke would be at the beginning of the show about the 106 beers supposedly rick flair and i will call into question this he said he and andre drank 106 beers one night which i i believe that story the way he says it, I don't think it was 50-50. I think, right. I think Andre drank, like, you know, probably 96 of those beers. And Ric Flair probably, you know, I don't know. He, pro he probably drank more than that. Like, he he's lived the party lifestyle, too. But it, it wasn't, he didn't drink 53 beers. Like, I can tell you that. I honestly don't know if I've ever gone past a 12-pack. Like, I may have, I and I was probably at the point where I wasn't counting. But, like, it's inconceivable to me that, like... You get past like not a case, but like four <laughs> cases, like or the fact that he would drink three bottles of wine and two bottles of cognac and be like, oh, "I'm tipsy." Yeah, that was uh, they, they, like uh, Ro uh, Rob Reiner tells yeah. a story because uh, there's also a brief uh, segue, not segue, but like side story about uh, Andre's time on the set of The Princess Bride, which is I'm glad that they brought that into the documentary. It made sense. Like, yeah. But Rob Reiner tells a story about they released like this certain type of wine and they had like, I forget how many bottles they said. And over the course of the day, Andre just drank it all and they had to have him on a horse, but they had to use, they, they, they obviously had to use wires anyway, just to support his weight. But they have this guy who was like 500 pounds drunk at the end of the day. And it's like, he tells the story kind of just like, he's like, it's a very strange job I have. And that's the only <laughs> way he ended it. it was like <laughs> well, they also mentioned that like at one point, like he uh, passed out in a hotel, like lobby or whatever, not a, like the hallway. Like he didn't make it back to his room. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what do we do? And it's like, what? Call what? triple yeah, a, like call tow truck. Yeah. Like nobody was gonna be able to pick him up and move him for yeah. God's sakes. Yeah. Like so what can you do? You know, it's like so I I I will say like you talk about how like you're at work and people start talking about sports and you'll kinda of tune out. Um I, I think I have a, a, a more passing interest in sports than you do. However, when it comes to these like these documentaries about the person and not just the sport, 
I always dive headfirst into all of them. Like I mentioned 30 for 30. Like there's a, I've watched ESPN sports documentaries about sports. I care. I, I didn't even know it existed and I care so little about, but I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting story. And I'll end up watching it and loving it, you know? And I feel like this is one of those ones where, um, like, okay. So, so wrestling on the surface, the, everybody knows that the people involved are performers, they're entertainers, and that we know generally, unless you're Bret Hart in Montreal that one time, you know how the match is going to end. Like they they know in advance, supposedly, right? So, but the whole thing is that they're supposed to sell the illusion that they're competing and they're giving it their all, which they are. So people dismiss wrestling because they say it's fake and the outcomes are, are predetermined. I, I think that selling it completely short and my knowledge of the sport is, or I should say the art form or whatever you want to call it, uh, is very limited compared to some people I do know. So I'm wanting to speak out of turn. Like you cannot, you cannot appreciate, even if this is not a true competition, that this is uh, a bunch of athleticism and feats of strength that you're seeing that is on put on for display and may not be, you know, quote unquote with like the outcome, like, you know, like we just watched the NBA finals and that didn't end well for us. And you could, I, I, I wish someone would tell us, well, that's what the script said. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that as opposed to, we just couldn't quite do it, you know? Um, but I, I think people like you, someone like Andre the giant, Obviously, you know, he had personal struggles just because of like his, his physical condition and eventually got to the point to where his body wasn't supporting him. Like I, there has to be that moment when he like in his 20, early twenties where, you know, as, as much as he felt like he didn't fit in the world, he probably felt like he could break the world in half. Like, like if he wanted to, and that probably, there's probably a, a sense of euphoria with that at times. Right. But when your body stops doing what it needs to do and it's falling apart quickly and the only thing you know is to get out there and put yourself in front of people to get that, you know, like affirmation. It's a hell of a thing. And I, and I can't, and I feel like I'm rambling, but I think people, good wrestling done right is awesome. And I think it's worth, cause we'll watch, we'll like, we'll watch a little bit before we started the show, even like the little promos and you see some of the moves these people pull off. It's like, you're reacting like, how did they do that? Like yeah. not questioning, does it hurt? It's like, how did they physically do that? And I think Andre was in front of all that. And I guess earlier he was more acrobatic before his body really outgrew it, you yeah. know, but I mean, we watched that, that Hogan, you know, uh, Andre, the giant match from, uh, WrestleMania three. And he, but he's just standing there for like 95% of the match. I mean, he's not, I mean, not that he was dancing around all the time that I watched him anyway, but like looking back on it now, you're realizing like how much Hogan's selling it in the sense that like he kind of had to move around and then Andre the Giant would just smack him down basically. Yeah. But I mean, but Andre was such a presence that he could stare and deliver that, that yeah. chop and that it looks like the most powerful thing in the world. And then of course, Hogan with his, uh, <laughs> His his constantly scrunching face and receding hairline and sweating would sell the hell out of it, and you believe that Andre could knock the world down. Like, and it was even though after watching the documentary, realizing how how even Hulk Hogan didn't know at the time how limited Andre was, even though he knew that he was not in peak form anymore. It's just it's you watch that match with that hindsight, and you're like, oh, this is kind of hard to watch. But at the time, the people in the Silver Dome are losing their minds because here's a guy throwing Hulk Hogan down, 
you know, yeah. and it's like, and you you were in the moment and you bought it, you know. Well, I mean, that's the thing too is that you know I mentioned that, uh, you know, I was a second ago I was just talking about um, the the match the match itself and him not moving, but the truth of the matter is is that like there's some falls in it. There's some stuff that happens where I'm like, knowing what physical pain he was in, I was like, I can't believe he did that. Like, I've pulled a muscle in my back and like been like, I got to call off work, and I sit at a desk. Like, I can't imagine what kind of pain he was in while he was doing it. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think we all are aware that like, even if the outcomes are fake or whatever, that these guys are putting real toll on their bodies. Like, there's no secret to that. Um, and... You know, this is a side note, but like when I, that day that I spent like going down the rabbit hole of watching old wrestling videos, it also spurred me to start looking people up. And the amount of people who had passed on at this point, not because of old age in most cases, was really kind of disturbing. Um, so, like, there's certainly that humanizing aspect to the story for of Honor to the Giant as well, in the sense that like they mentioned, like he knew that he wasn't going to make it probably to fifty. You know, he yeah. he lived with that knowledge. Um, and, you know, I think they mentioned at one point that he, they wouldn't be able to reverse it, but they could at least stop it or whatever. And he kind of was like, no, because the only thing that he had was his career, it seemed like, yeah. you know, um, he did have a daughter, which I found interesting. I didn't know about that. Yeah. I didn't know that either before the documentary. And, um, it's understandable. Like I, I, you know, his the mother and him wanted her to be away from the life that he was living, and um, you know, I feel bad for her that she didn't get to really spend a lot of time with her dad simply because of the way he, you know, worked and lived his life as a wrestler. But um, that was also a very interesting fact that I just I knew nothing of. I didn't know that he had a ranch where he just kind of like hung out and could be himself and not have to worry about. Um, being recognized or being, you know, ogled as being the big guy, how I feel every time I walk into a room. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I just, it was, it was a good, it was one, it was a good thing to, to learn a lot about just to him, his life, his rise and how a lot of this happened before there was like a lot of television coverage uh, and obviously the internet, right? So like you can, you uh, even now, like um, like I mentioned, like the Japanese side of things, they had a huge pay per view event this this past weekend called Dominion, like New Japan. Which I say that like I know what happened. I have no idea what happened, uh, but like you can watch that, like as it, you can watch it live halfway mm -hmm. around the world. You can watch it, and you can learn about wrestlers that um, aren't necessarily in the WWE universe. Uh, but you can you ha you have so much access. Like we have a local um, uh, Northeast Ohio wrestling promotion around here called uh, Abs um, Absolute Intense Wrestling AIW, um, and I've been a few of their shows. I've talked about it on the show, and it, it's there's so much access, and you get to see people there that are on their way up too. So it's kind of exciting, you know. But it's like. There's not going to be like with Andre though. It was just you, you mentioned like he would go and work these territories and you'd always hear about him. I it just it's amazing to me the shadow that he cast and again this that's not a joke about his size over the business um, before there was so much access to information mm -hmm. that I wasn't aware of um, and then how he almost he was even though he was still in the WWF. When they were when they were starting to skyrocket after WrestleMania and kind of moving up, and Vince was buying all the markets out, and then having the USA Network like show the show, which is how I watched it growing up, 
um, and then rock and wrestling. <laughs> um, it feels like it was almost five, six years past the point of peak Andre, which is unfortunate because he did all this work and everybody benefited from him, just his existence and his, his work, work ethic and, and, and the company and all that. And I don't think he got to necessarily get his place in the sun for how hard he worked. Yeah. And I, and it's, it's easy to say that now because we watch this, you know, how many, we, we see his life, how many years passed. I just didn't realize the relevance of what he was, who he was and what he did. And I appreciate that now. It's just a bummer that, you know, it took how many years for a documentary that, um, you know, even the passing wrestling fan can watch and just be like in tears at the end and realize, wow, this was actually uh, pretty goddamn important for, for, for sports entertainment. Yeah. You know? And I mean, Going back to, you know, you mentioned earlier, like how it kind of pivots and kind of turns into the Hogan story for about 10 minutes, uh, you know, before WrestleMania three, it sounded like at least the way they portray it in the documentary is, is that, you know, Andre the Giant was ready to give up. And like McMahon was like, hey, I've got this idea. Uh, and I've got this venue, which I think was like the biggest at the time. The Pontiac Silverdome was yeah. like the biggest indoor something, something, something. And that sort of took him out of his I don't want to say misery, but like, because he was still in physical pain. But As Vince like, said, it gave him something to live for, not something you know yeah. to die for. Because like he was felt like he was just kind of done with everything. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, whether it's a conscious decision or not, um, they kind of play around with the fact of whether or not McMahon actually knew what the outcome would be, because Hogan didn't know what the outcome <laughs> was going to be. Um, you know, it it was symbolic in that it really was sort of a passing of the torch moment. Um, for you know because hogan was the big thing at the time yeah. and it was him sort of because he, he he and they mentioned this like they had wrestled many times locally that you know just hadn't been televised but for people like me like i i have no memories of wrestlemania 3 in the sense that like i my family never paid for a pay-per-view we never like i don't remember going to a friend's house to watch it but i vividly remember hogan slamming Andre the Giant. Like, mm -hmm. it's one of the wrestling memories that I have that's just sort of emblazoned in my brain. Um, and to know that, like, it was, whether it was intentional or not, or if it was planned or not, like, that was really him, like, handing over to, like, the passing of the torch. And, and, and in wrestling, that generally is the way that you go out on your back. Like, mm -hmm. you pass it on, right? So that's the whole thing. And I, it's like, and like, we were watching that match before the show. Um, like, you know, my wife was talking about how she was wincing the entire time watching because she just watched the documentary with me. And it's like, even though Andre didn't know this is probably going to be the last of the big time, like, it just, it, it if that's the way you go out, that's a pretty good way to go out, you know? Yeah, like, I mean... I mean, he still wrestled after that, but this was like the most, the last most famous thing that he did. And there's a, there's a shot in the documentary where we see him like ringside, uh, uh, not on crutches, but on like, um, oh, I don't know what they're called. They're like the poles that you have that go up your arm. Yeah, like that, almost like someone that would have polio or something, like those kind of crutches. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I vividly remember that as well. I remember seeing like towards the end of his career, like seeing him always talking about a comeback or, you yeah. know, and it never surfaced, um, you know, but uh, it was just, you know, somebody who I don't know that I would have given 
or at least this documentary made me realize like how big of a part at least some of my favorite memories of being a kid and watching wrestling were like I'd never really take into account you know the person versus you know or what I grew up with or the idea of Andre the Giant. Yeah. So. Well, and this isn't Andre the Giant related, but I, I think I mentioned this in the show last year. It was a World Columbus. I was down there to take my wife to surprise her to meet David Tennant. Um, but I turned the corner and I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, is that Hacksaw Jim Duggan? And I ran over to his table because it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Like he was there and he had two by four sign that he was going to sign for. I'm like, take my money, Mr. Duggan. I need, <laughs> I need this two by four. And I went up to him. I was like, sir, I was like, I, I was like, you know, I got to tell you, I was like, I watched, I was like, you're the, I was like, you're the first, first Royal Rumble winner. He's like, yeah, he's like, you know, you're wrestling. And I would be like, nah, not so much. But I watched that as a kid live because it mm-hmm. wasn't USA. It wasn't a pay-per-view. And I remember Hacksaw Jim Duggan causing the one-man gang to go over the top rope and he won. And I, I, so I told him and like he shook my hand and his hand was the size of a shovel. Like this is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He's not the biggest guy, but his hand was just wide. Yeah. And I got a piece of a two by four signed by him. And it was like this, like I was a kid again for like a second and I think he really appreciated the excitement for what he did, yeah. you know? And it was like, just, so if there's any, if there's any passing interest in wrestling, uh, one, go to a local show. They're so much fun. Uh, and two, like, you know, check out some of the, like, check out the documentary. Um, I know I've made this joke before the WWE network. There's a free trial. Go, go deep dive. Like Steve did watch some eighties, like pay-per-view stuff. Like there's some fun stuff there. And there, there is, there is worth in a lot of this entertainment. And in a time right now where box offices are being dominated by superheroes and people flying around and punching each other, you had that a few nights a week already on USA. They just didn't work. Well, some of them wore capes, but the wrestling is just comic books in the ring. And yeah. that's what, it, and, and the, and the best ones are those stories. You like, even the, even you don't necessarily maybe not remember the matches, but you remember the leads that lead up to them. You remember the stories, you remember all that. And like talk about WrestleMania three, when Andre turned heel and stare down Hogan, you, you know, you don't forget that. Right. Like, so yeah, I just, I'm glad that, I'm glad you suggested it. I'm glad that I got a chance to watch it. Um, yeah, yeah. It was a good documentary. I mean, I know that we're both like saying, hey, watch this documentary, watch this documentary. But the truth of the matter is, too, like, you know, even if you're not a wrestling fan, like, typically HBO documentaries, like, there are a lot of documentaries I watched on HBO that I have no knowledge of before or, you know, HBO usually does a pretty good job of their documentaries. So if you're even skeptical, being like, I don't know if I want to watch a wrestling documentary, it's a great documentary just on its own. If it was a, you know, if it was about him as a lumberjack, you know, I'd probably still watch it and be like, wow, this is very interesting. I did not know this about (laughs) this man who was a famous lumberjack. He deforested all of Europe. We don't know how that happened. He he had a... uh, he had an ox named Blue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, a good. Uh, it was it was good. It was worth watching. And like I said, uh, go watch wrestling. Just these guys, like you're, you're right. They put themselves out there. Um, they they want to entertain you. They want to put on a good show. And seeing it live, which I know I've been asking, you know, I've been trying to get Steve to go to a show, and we just haven't gotten there yet together. I want um, to go to yeah, a show. Yeah. It just hasn't worked out time wise. Yeah, it's just you, you don't realize how. Even at this smaller level, which the talent, you know, some of it's there, some of it isn't. The will is there. Sometimes the talent isn't there. It's still impressive what these guys put themselves through just to entertain a gymnasium full of people just yelling at them. Right. Like, so, yeah. Um, Yeah. Just watch wrestling. So, um, that's the message of today's show. Watch wrestling. Just watch wrestling. Just watch it. Uh, WWE Network. It's free 30 day trial. Uh, It's $9.99 a month. A lot of value. (laughs) 
I mean, there is, like, I couldn't believe the stuff that was on there when he was walking me through the app and, and showing me all the stuff that's on there. Um, I I am considering it, uh, but I'm so pressed for time anymore. I'm like, where do I find time to sit down and watch all this? Yeah, no, know? no, you're right. Like, I, I made the joke about how I was going to watch, uh, like, every WrestleMania. I was like, you know, I could do that. And I watched one. I watched the first <laughs> yeah. one. And I'm like, that was three hours. I don't know if I'm... And, like, I tried to tell myself I was going to watch every Royal Rumble, just the Rumble match. Those are, like, an hour each. And after a while, if you've seen one... An entire seen, day of my life has been taken up. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's, like, eight guys in the ring now. Well, someone's going to come in and take one of those guys. It's just, it gets to be a little a little old uh but yeah it's a good time oh and the last thing that i wanted to mention about the documentary and this has nothing to do really with the documentary itself well it does a little bit mean gene okerlund's still alive i did not know this oh yeah yeah you know i thought he'd passed on and i was very happy to see him i'm like he's still alive i kind of wish he would be more involved with the product right now because he has a voice he has knowledge he was wrestling like he was the voice of wrestling growing up yeah you know, I mean, we talked about it before, like Gorilla Monsoon. And I always say before, before the show, but like Gorilla Monsoon, Mean Gene Okerlund, you know, um, even um, uh, Jake, uh, Jake, I was going to say Jake the Snake, no. Um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the, um, uh, Jesse Ventura. Yes, thank you. I was like, the governor. No, That's... the other governor. <laughs> Jesse Ventura. You, like, you had the managers, Bobby the Brain, Brain. and uh, Jimmy uh, Mouth, Mouth of the, the South. Mouth Heart. Yeah, Heart. And you had, you just, you had these characters, personalities, and they all knew how to work a crowd. But Gene Okerlund, he made it. He he brought like a professionalism to it. Like uh, like it, it brought it. It brought it up against sports and it's sports entertainment. He but also the way- had kind of like a dry response to a lot of times where like. Hogan would be going off about something or Randy Seven, and he'd just be like, matter of fact, like, okay, folks, we're going to go on to the next thing. Like, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> he was never like, you know, blown away by whatever was going on. It was just. It, he had a job to do. And yeah. It, but in the same way, his response also kind of played off everything, too. That's what like, I mean. It's like, like, if it's so ridiculous, then we'll acknowledge that. And then, yeah, next thing. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like Bobby the Brain Heenan's whole thing was that he was he was a heel and a villain and like so like he would egg things on and make mm-hmm. comments, whereas Mean Gene was just so like, Well, this is what we're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. Um yeah. Anyway, Andre the Giant documentary. Uh it's on HBO. I made the joke on uh, on Facebook. It's uh, when you're not watching Westworld in real sex, go watch uh, Andre the Giant, the documentary. <laughs> um so so yeah, check it out. That's that's uh yeah, I think that's gonna like we're Three count. We're done talking about Andre the Giant. Um, my back hurts just thinking about all of this. So, <laughs> so yeah, let's just get to. Uh, um, well, we'll get to the game in a second. Um, first, we'll just take care of some business here. Uh, next week, I, well, I, why am I talking about next week already? But I'll just mention it. We're watching the the second half of season one. I guess it is. Yeah. Of they, the, for a, a channel that likes to make everything come out at once, they're like, we're gonna break this up. Yeah. So Netflix. We talked about the toys that made us earlier. The first four episodes. We're gonna be talking about the second four episodes that's put out. So check that out next week. Um, and yeah. So uh, you could find us on Facebook. I find us on Invasion of the Podcast dot uh, com. It goes to the blog where we're talking about a year of the knockoff. We'll have more about that next week, talking about what our next the next movie's going to be. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. And Steve, how can people find you specifically? Head over to the SaturdayNightSlasher.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. Uh, been posting a lot of cool different photos on yeah. Instagram and uh, trying to figure out how Instagram works and not sound like an old man as I'm using it. Um, but uh, yeah, you can follow me any of those places and 
working on right now a cover. We're looking at doing our first printed edition of the Saturday Night Slasher uh, for next month. Knock on wood. Uh, my partner Ryan has a show in Cleveland that's going to be spotlighting comic book art. Um, so he wanted to get some copies printed up, and I'm putting together a new cover for that that uh, he had uh, penciled and inked and I colored. Um, and we'll hopefully be unveiling that soon and new content coming uh, in, over the next couple of months. So. Perfect. Thanks for checking it out <laughs> or not checking it out and now checking it out. Yeah. Uh, and just also, if you guys want to hear more of my voice, uh, and who, who really does, let's be honest, um, you know, aside from the strange highways that I do with Kevin, where we'll be talking more of Twilight Zone, uh, I will be on um, Talk Without Rhythm, the next episode with Al Goro and Kevin, because <laughs> I'm like, can I bring a friend and I'm bringing Kevin along with me? He's um, your phone a friend. He's my like phone a friend. American millionaire yeah, or whatever. Yeah, because I picked, I picked two films for uh, El Goro to cover, because uh, I'm a Patreon supporter over there, and they're both Westerns that Kevin put on a list for me to watch for either Western. So I'm like, you're coming with me to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. So uh, we're going to be on there talking about uh, two Lee Van Cleef films, uh, Day of Anger and Sabata. I, all this week I've been hyping myself up. Like I'm excited to talk about these films again. Like I, I enjoyed them for the year of the Western and it'll be fun to revisit them. So uh, that'll be out at the end of the weekend. If you guys want to hear me talk more about Westerns, that's going to happen. So it'll be a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, uh, let's just get to, let's get to more happenings at the mall. Time to play the game. game. <laughs> Alrighty, so the game that I've concocted for the end of the show this evening is things that I saw at the Living Dead weekend. Now, what this list comprise is comprised of is ten different experiences, things uh, that either happened or I saw at the mall, and you have to tell me if they're real or not. Okay. Alrighty. So number one, I saw only three cosplayers the entire weekend. Uh, what's your definition of cosplayer? Is it like someone full on zombie makeup, or like I don't know, like other characters? Somebody in any sort of character makeup, in that they're not just like a we can even include zombies but like i only saw three people technically who you if you were to go to another convention you go hey that's somebody in costume okay i say that's true okay that is true okay. i was kind of surprised by the lack of people dressed as zombies there were a couple people who'd like gone to a booth and gotten like you know a little bit of makeup on but nobody who like was literally like i'm gonna be the flyboy uh zombie from the end of dawn of the dead or you know i'm gonna be the uh harry krishna zombie or something like i totally expected to see a lot of cosplay and i didn't and the thing that really struck a chord with me was is one of the cosplays was negan and that makes sense because nicotero was there yeah. you know and the walking dead such a huge thing Negan's such an easy thing to pull off, though. It's whatever, anyway. Yeah, it's a leather jacket and a baseball bat. Yeah. Um, the second one was somebody was dressed in the SWAT gear that um, the two main characters, played by Ken Forey and Scott Reiniger, were wearing. Um, and I was actually really impressed That's by that. That's kind of cool. Oh. Uh, and then the last one was somebody dressed as Freddy Krueger. <laughs> And I don't know why. I want to believe they just were dressed separate and they just wanted to go to the mall. And they're like, oh. 
And what was amazing was, is at one point, uh, I went down to the food court and he was taking a a break and there was like a Mrs. Field. So I got myself a couple cookies and a pop to, you know, get me energized up because I'm like reverse Popeye. I eat garbage and that, you know, gets me happy. (laughs) Reverse Popeye. Like like people understand what you're saying. Both eyes are open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Spinach makes you weak. (laughs) But uh, he was just sitting at a table, like letting people like look at him as he walked by and he was like doing a thing with the gloves where like it was like oh. tapping on the table and he was giggling to himself which was like awesome that's kind of that's kind of funny but kind of weird <laughs> yeah. like um, i wish there was a hot dog on a stick nearby to just put like four hot dogs on the different <laughs> blades yeah. but yeah i was just i was surprised I, I i didn't you know necessarily mean cosplay in the sense that like i needed to see 10 harley quinns or four jokers There's or so many zombie deadpools here yeah but like yeah i was really surprised by the lack of it i guess maybe it's just because i'm so used to it to every convention i go to it's become a larger portion that's fair yeah um so that was that was an interesting thing um the next one is there is a store in the mall called 90s nails and nails meaning like fingernails like a place that you go to get a manicure i'm 90s i'm gonna say that's fake that's real and we were trying to figure out like was it a store that was here in the 90s and just never changed its name its name was it like it was put there in the 80s, and they're like, we're going to be futuristic. And but what, go for what the are 90s? 90s nails? I don't know. Okay. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, okay. is it that you know you can now get technology from the 90s? Is that <laughs> retro? I I don't know that much like, about nails. They, just, but... they make nails out of AOL dial-up discs. <laughs> but I just I thought that was such an interesting store name, um, and my wife commented on it too. So, uh, all righty. So the next one, a vendor was selling a adult film called. Horn of the Dead. I believe that's true. That seems true to me. Oddly enough, that one was false. That okay, but there what, was other, no one... what other porn titles were there then? No, there wasn't. That was surprised oh. me. Like, uh, like there no was Dawn of the Head. Nothing. No, like that. nothing okay. like that. <laughs> I wish I'd have thought of that because yeah. I, I Porn of the Dead was the fake name I came up with. <laughs> porn of the Dead. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll do something. Probably not. Uh, but uh, he's so peaceful. i once made the joke that i wanted to start a website like a cam site for people that it's just it's just it's just it's just cameras and hospital rooms of people that are in comas but they're like really attractive people and i wanted to call it steamy vegetables (laughs) oh my god We're not drinking tonight. Well, I'm I, not I, drinking tonight. I, I had two beers and I sweated them out, so I did not have 106 oh, beers. So. Steamy vegetables. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I just want people to come in like, during, the, during the situation and be like looking out the bed and be like, oh, I don't know if she's ever come out of this coma. Man, that's a that's a waste. <laughs> She she is so she has a glow about her and like <laughs> like nothing like nothing like super sexual goes on but there's a constant commenting on like wow you think that their like their face would have atrophied but no they're holding together <laughs> like you know like steamyvegetables.com yeah I mean and <laughs> I think it's just weird and maybe it's always been at conventions I mean there have always been people who sell like vintage Playboys or Hustlers or whatever at conventions but like in the last I'd say 15 years maybe probably around the time that the DVD boom hit suddenly conventions there was always like two or three vendors that was like hey are you looking for porn and it's like <laughs> i don't know like if i'm looking for porn here to come up a convention so like, if, if you were selling like you know knockoff porn at a convention what would you call it? what would be the name of your table Ooh, 
I, I guess it would be porn of the dead. I don't know. Like, I think I would call it cowboy doors because that's like I think because every every video store you go into, there's always the cowboy doors. Got to walk through it or bead curtain video, like something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I don't think they put that much thought on it. Um, no, but uh, no, because if you're if you're at a convention, you're buying porn, then you're no. It's 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 very much an A to B proposition. There's no there's no like you know what. I like I like the creativity of this one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a, uh, a good point, I guess. And I I don't know. Yeah. Go to a convention by porn. I don't know. All righty. Uh, I think I think the porn version of the thing would still be called the thing. You that's know, I true. Think- <laughs> All right. Anyway, Sorry. maybe it would be like T H A thing, <laughs> the thing, the thing. Yeah. All righty. Um, so- the warmest place to hide this man. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not changing that t- no, tagline. No, you don't. No, anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> Alrighty, so the next one here, uh, and I don't know who these two actors were. They're clearly like backup zombies. But one of them, and I don't know if the other one knew that the sign was up, because I don't know if there was a, a claim that was going on, but he had a sign up that was pointing to a guy sitting next to him that said he wasn't in the movie and an arrow pointing to him. <laughs> So like um, that seems real. I don't know why I think that because I feel like that someone they got asked enough times, someone's like, "No, he's not in the movie." Yeah, like, right? that's that's real. Oh. So I didn't know if there was a dispute going on between those two people, or if it was somebody who just showed up and was like, "Yeah, I'm in the movie," and they're like, "You're not in the movie." So like like a stolen valor type of thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Alrighty. So the next one uh, was uh, Iron City beer was noticeably absent from both the VIP party that I got to attend and pretty much everywhere I went. I think that's I think that's true because I feel like more craft breweries moved into Pittsburgh, so Iron City's probably not prevalent. Well, that is true, but what? So that was part of my goal. It was like I'm going to get me an Iron City and drink an Iron City while I was there, and I did not find an Iron City while I was there. We went out to dinner a couple times, didn't have it anywhere, and then the VIP party they had Coors, which I thought was like okay, and then Yingling, what, which was it, was a banquet beer. Was it, Coors it, it, beer? it was light Coors was Light. It, was it brought to you by Cobra Kai? <laughs> <laughs> it was Coors Light and Yingling, and I'm like, well, Yingling Yingling's makes Pennsylvania. Sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But I thought like Iron City is featured in the movie. Like, there's a shot of somebody drinking Iron City in the movie and George Romero actually did commercials for Iron City that makes sense before me, he made yeah. the movie so I thought for sure there'd be Iron City beer there but there was uh, that is a failed opportunity there alrighty so the next one here Tom Savini only spoke two words to me not true I'm gonna say not true. No, it was true. No. Um, I went up to him both times. Uh, I because so I had him say one things. word, one word to you each time. He, I don't remember him saying anything. No, the first time I, I he said thank you. Um, and then the second time when I went up and I was like, I had to get this Jason mask because you know I told him that I saw it was the first horror movie I saw in the theater and I had to get the man who killed Jason's signature on a mask. And he didn't say anything. He just signed it, took my money, and that was it. So that's that's about what happened whenever I bought the the sex machine print. So yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So uh, at the VIP party that I mentioned earlier, there was a zombie bust made of assorted cheeses. I want that to be true. <laughs> there was it. not. Oh. <laughs> but wouldn't it be amazing? It was like all head cheese. <laughs> That'd be terrible. That'd be disgusting. Ugh. All right, so uh, the next one, uh, there were more comic book vendors there than there were when we went to Wizard World. I believe that. All right, that one's false. Oh. It's just me still com- complaining to uh, still complaining about Wizard World not having enough comic book vendors for something called a Comic-Con. All righty. Uh, 
the next one here, Greg Nicotero, when I met him, I had purchased a um, copy of a newspaper that is displayed in the beginning of Day of the Dead that says The Dead Walk. Um, while talking to him, he opened mine up to see if it was an actual copy of the original that they used from the film or if it was a fake. And he was able to verify for me that it was a copy of the original from the film and then pointed out why. I'd say that's true. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that was true. It was kind of cool. Uh, basically, some of the text that they used in the fake uh, newspaper was taken from a medical book. Okay. And so he's like, there's one easy way to check. And he's like, he opens it up and he starts reading the sen- sentence about somebody's penis. And he's like, yep, this is from the medical book. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would believe that some there would be information about somebody's <laughs> penis in a medical book. I'm no doctor, but I'm going to guess there's information about someone's penis in a medical book. Yeah. So that part was really cool. Like him just giving me a little piece of information like that. Like, I don't know how this, the, the, this, 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 this <laughs> portion of the show got really sexual. I don't know how that happened. but We've gotten really blue towards the end of this episode all righty so the last one here um there was a vendor selling pieces of a door strip that was originally there at pennies when the movie was made i believe that that seems like that kind of hacky thing where it's like buy part of the movie yeah that was true or break into a place and steal something from the movie yeah that's that's something that uh, i just saw uh actually your buddy rich i had lunch with uh, on Saturday at the convention, and he had, like, after we went to lunch, I went and got in line for Greg Nicotero, and he hooked up with a couple of friends of his, um, and they went and saw the airport where the helicopter scene is filmed. Okay. And uh, and then today he posted that uh, after he went and saw it, someone broke in after it was closed and, like, destroyed the door, stole the jackalope off the uh, wall, and, like, basically destroyed a piece of film history because they love the movie like that makes no sense to me um i i just i was so annoyed by that when i saw that story. yeah i mean i just, i questioned that rich posted it after it happened after visiting i'm gonna argue that he cased the joint no i'm not gonna do that to but, be fair though he showed me video of him there like beaming and uh, like of him oh. not of him not stealing stuff that's the perfect <laughs> alibi he also went down the street that uh, Creep Show was filmed on. So. Oh, I want him to be in that video and be like, oh, my legs are too weak to kick open the store. Let me, let me, I'm barely touching the store with my, oh, it hurts. Yeah. No, I guess they, they got lucky. There was the, the caretaker there was there while they were there. And he was like, you guys want to check it out? And they, he let him in and let him cool. take photos and stuff. That's so. Really cool. so it sucks that, uh, yeah, I don't understand the whole, like, you love something so much that you're going to break it and take it. From yeah. Something, like, yeah. I, there's there's a lot of aspects of fandom that I don't understand. So I know we talked we've talked about that at nauseum. Already. Yeah. So no, it sounds like you had a good weekend. There was some weird stuff like that's like that makes it where I mean you're already going to a mall that was in a film about zombies. There needs to be some weird happenings going on. So, yeah. yeah. I did also visit a, a Spencer's gift and Hot Topic gift because I got to you know hit those once every like ten years. Like, was there like a Camelot music there still? Like, was <laughs> there, there was not. Okay. I, was just, I, I think I told the story before that I was in Great Northern like last year and I was surprised to see an FYE. Oh, I'm yeah. Like, it's this still thing there. still exists? Yeah, it's, it's still doing okay. Yeah. Like, it's just, <laughs> I, whatever. Anyway, so yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, next week, like I said, Toys of the Made Us Part 2. So there's going to be four episodes there. I know Steve's seen some of it already. I've not watched it yet because I've been waiting for the show yeah, to talk got, about it. I got one more to go. So yeah. um, the... Uh, I would say the the Hello Kitty one so far has been the one that's been the most 
because I knew nothing about Hello Kitty, so it was definitely the one that I got the most oh, information really, out of. I'm about to check my knowledge so. against it then. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, like the other episode, they're all really pretty good. So Perfect. So, all right. So then, yeah, um, uh, next week, uh, Toys That Made Us. And in the meantime, um, have a safe week. Um, don't do any wrestling moves. I mean, or do a lot of them. I don't know which is better. I just uh, be careful. Like, don't, you know... Don't don't do a power driver and and make and, and drive the person's head into the mat and and break their neck like that happened to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Don't do that. That'd be bad news. Yeah, and don't break into pieces of film history and destroy them. And don't drink 106 beers at once, especially with Ric Flair, because he'll claim that he drank most of them. <laughs>